0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. In today's challenging world, it's very easy to start feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed. If you're experiencing any of these feelings, BetterHelp is here for you. They offer licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. You can talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you're matched with a therapist in as little as 48 hours. You can also request a new therapist at no additional charge at any time. Join the 3 million-plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Holidays After Dark. That's BetterHelp.com slash Holidays After Dark. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Holidays After Dark, the podcast that explores the alternative sides of the holidays we all know and love. I'm your host, Kristen. Today, I'll be recognizing the holiday that those of us who start celebrating Christmas on November 1st are often accused of bypassing, Thanksgiving. In our defense, Christmas is a season. Thanksgiving is simply one day. So on the 24th, I will be in full Thanksgiving mode, while also enjoying my Christmas tree and music that will certainly be playing. Before I dive into the history of Thanksgiving and some famous mishaps associated with the day, I'm going to rewind the holiday clock back a little bit to Halloween. A few weeks ago, I received an email from painter and illustrator William Kevin Petty. He shared with me that he is a fan of Holidays After Dark and wanted to let me know about the book he had recently published with author and poet Emily P. Bush. Their book is called A Coal City Halloween Volume 1, and it's described as a Halloween picture book for grown-ups. Of course, this sounded right up my alley, so I knew I wanted to talk about it on the podcast right away, even though I had already recorded all of my Halloween episodes. Once I got a copy in my hands, it really blew me away how much I loved it. The book is set in the steampunk world of Coal City, and steampunk has long been one of my favorite aesthetics. The book contains short stories and poems and even a few delicious-sounding drink recipes, and the illustrations are amazing. They are a perfect mix of spooky, cute, and whimsical, and even after I read the book, I found myself continuing to flip back through it to keep looking at the art. I'll put a link to their book in my show notes and I encourage everyone to buy a copy. It's really a timeless piece that you could go back and reread every Halloween season. William also told me that they are hoping to create books for other holidays, too. I know I will certainly be buying some of their past books as well as future ones. Before I move on, let me share with you a poem from the book titled All Discarded Things Are Haunted. Children learn quite early how to love what isn't real. Teddy bears, games and dolls, skates with shiny wheels, soothe aloofness when alone till family draws near. Practice grows their fondness as play foils lonely fears. Just one will rise as special for partiality in play. Dragged along and bashed about, it's dinged along the way. Just one won't be left to bed when the child goes out. Absorbing spirit making joy while tamping down the doubt. But growing up means moving on and toys become abandoned. Deemed unworthy evermore, a gray unwanted stand-in. Worse for wear and love to ruin, not pretty anymore. But the tenderness attaches through a secret magic ward. This is how the haunting comes to cast-offs once adored. This is how within these toys that children's souls are stored. Now, moving on to our Thanksgiving celebration, let's start by finding out how exactly this holiday came to be. In September 1620, a small ship called the Mayflower left Plymouth, England, carrying 102 passengers, an assortment of religious separatists seeking a new home where they could freely practice their faith, and other individuals lured by the promise of prosperity and land ownership in the New World. After a treacherous and uncomfortable crossing that lasted 66 days, they dropped anchor near the tip of Cape Cod, far north of their intended destination at the mouth of the Hudson River. One month later, the Mayflower crossed Massachusetts Bay, where the Pilgrims, as they are now commonly known, began the work of establishing a village at Plymouth. Throughout that first brutal winter, most of the colonists remained on board the ship, where they suffered from exposure, scurvy, and outbreaks of contagious diseases. Only half of the Mayflower's original passengers and crew lived to see their first New England spring. In March, the remaining settlers moved ashore, where they received a visit from a member of the Abenaki tribe who greeted them in English. Several days later, he returned with another Native American, Squanto, a member of the Patuxet tribe, Who had been kidnapped by an English sea captain and sold into slavery before escaping to London and returning to his homeland on an exploratory expedition. Squanto taught the pilgrims how to cultivate corn, extract sap from maple trees, catch fish in the rivers, and avoid poisonous plants. He also helped the settlers forge an alliance with the Wampanoag, a local tribe, which would endure for more than 50 years and tragically remains one of the sole examples of harmony between European colonists and Native Americans. In November 1621, after the pilgrims' first corn harvest proved successful, Governor William Bradford organized a celebratory feast and invited a group of the colony's Native American allies, including the Wampanoag chief. Now remembered as America's first Thanksgiving, Although the Pilgrims themselves may not have used the term at the time, the festival lasted for three days. No record exists of the first Thanksgiving's exact menu, but historians have suggested that many of the dishes were likely prepared using traditional Native American spices and cooking methods. Because the Pilgrims had no oven and the Mayflower sugar supply had dwindled by the fall of 1621, the meal did not feature pies, cakes, or other desserts, which would become a hallmark of contemporary celebrations. In 1817, New York became the first of several states to officially adopt an annual Thanksgiving holiday, with each celebrating it on a different day. However, the American South remained largely unfamiliar with the tradition. In 1827, writer Sarah Hale, author of the nursery rhyme Mary Had a Little Lamb, launched a campaign to establish Thanksgiving as a national holiday. For 36 years, she published numerous editorials and sent letters to governors, senators, presidents, and other politicians, earning her the nickname the Mother of Thanksgiving. Abraham Lincoln finally heeded her request in 1863, at the height of the Civil War. He scheduled Thanksgiving for the final Thursday in November, and it was celebrated on that day every year until 1939, when Franklin D. Roosevelt moved the holiday up a week in an attempt to spur retail sales during the Great Depression. Roosevelt's plan was met with passionate opposition, and in 1941, the president reluctantly signed a bill, making Thanksgiving the fourth Thursday in November. Some Native Americans and many others take issue with how the Thanksgiving story is presented to the American public, and especially to schoolchildren. In their view, the traditional narrative paints a deceptively sunny portrait of relations between the Pilgrims and the Wampanoag people, masking the long and bloody history of conflict between Native Americans and European settlers that resulted in the deaths of tens of thousands. Since 1970, protesters have gathered on the day designated as Thanksgiving at the top of Coles Hill, which overlooks Plymouth Rock, to commemorate a National Day of Mourning. Similar events are held in other parts of the country. In many American households, the Thanksgiving celebration has lost much of its original religious significance. Instead, it now centers on cooking and sharing a meal with family and friends. Turkey, a Thanksgiving staple, may or may not have been on the table when the pilgrims hosted the inaugural feast in 1621. (laughs) Parades have also become an integral part of the holiday in cities and towns across the United States. Presented by Macy's department store in 1924, New York City's Thanksgiving Day Parade is the largest and most famous. It attracts about 2 to 3 million spectators along its 2.5-mile route and draws an enormous television audience. It typically features marching bands, performers, elaborate floats conveying various celebrities, and giant balloons shaped like cartoon characters. Speaking of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade balloons... These giant inflatables have often proved very difficult to handle and are a little more dangerous than one might assume. Here are some tales of those parade balloons acting a little more infamous than famous. Macy's didn't have a plan for deflating balloons when it introduced them to the parade in 1927. So, for several years, balloons were simply released into the air at the end of the show, where they would stay until they deflated naturally. This method didn't always go as smoothly as intended. In 1931, a balloon modeled after the classic cartoon character Felix the Cat got caught in a high-tension wire after its handlers let it go. It burst into flames shortly after becoming ensnared. The practice of freeing balloons at the end of the parade continued until 1932, when it nearly led to disaster. During these early years, Macy's offered reward money to whoever retrieved and returned their loose balloons some people went so far as risking their own lives to claim the reward. When a 22-year-old woman flying a plane over Queens spotted the 60-foot Tomcat balloon floating nearby, she flew into it, hoping to send it back to Earth. The New York Times reported her saying, I think I'll have a piece of the neck, to her flight instructor as she made the risky maneuver. The balloon snagged the wing and nearly brought the plane down with it. At one point, the woman came close to falling from the plane when the cabin door flew open. Luckily, her flight instructor was able to regain control of the aircraft. Macy's decided to officially end its tradition of releasing balloons after that. The balloons for Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and the streetlights lining the route have been enemies for decades. In 1993, high winds pushed the Sonic the Hedgehog balloon into a pole on West 58th Street, leaving a large tear in its eye. Debris from the accident caused minor injuries for a 10-year-old girl and a broken shoulder for an off-duty police officer. Sonic was patched up in time for next year's parade the 1997 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade was plagued with high winds that led to some of the most notorious accidents of the event's history. One of the more memorable incidents, especially for any kids in attendance, was the violent destruction of Barney the Dinosaur. After Handler spent several minutes struggling to maintain control of the balloon, the wind knocked it into a streetlight, tearing it open and causing it to deflate. In case that wasn't traumatic enough, police officers swarmed the balloon with knives and began stabbing new holes in it to release the remaining helium. The Pink Panther balloon also had to be tamed that year. An officer stabbed a hole in its tail to stabilize it. You know your parade went poorly when a balloon's total destruction isn't the worst incident of the morning. The most infamous balloon accident of 1997, and the parade's history, happened when the giant cat-in-the-hat balloon knocked into a streetlight, causing part of it to fall into the crowd below. The debris injured four people and sent two women to the hospital, one of whom was in a coma for a month. She later sued Macy's and New York City and walked away with a multi-million dollar settlement. The number of accidents the parade saw that year earned it the nickname the Great Balloon Massacre. Regulations on the types of balloons allowed in the parade and how they would be handled were tightened the following year to prevent similar disasters in the future. The worst Macy's accident of the new millennium occurred in 2005. That year, the M&M's balloon was knocked off course by a sudden gust of wind in Times Square and ended up damaging a light pole. The accident showered broken glass onto spectators and sent two sisters to the hospital for cuts and bruises. They were released hours later without any serious injuries, and their father told the New York Times, we plan to go back to the parade next year. If you have any Christmas-related stories, trivia, or interesting facts that you would like me to include in an episode this holiday season, feel free to send it to me. Email Kristen at holidaysafterdark.com, direct message at holidayspodcast on Instagram or Twitter, or find us on Facebook. I would love to feature your story or fun fact on a future episode of Holidays After Dark. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss your dose of holiday darkness. A rate or review would also be greatly appreciated. Thank you to my sister Ashley for editing and producing the podcast. Today I will leave you with a quote from Oscar Wilde that is included in a Coal City Halloween Volume 1 next to an absinthe cocktail recipe that I have always felt sadly rings true in today's world about the difference between fantasy and reality. After the first glass of absinthe, you see things as you wish they were. After the second, you see them as they are not. Finally, you see things as they really are, and that is the most horrible thing in the world.